a Podcast One production. Don't assume that you'll ever be able to do it perfectly. That's the first thing. Because a part of this conversation is about helping leaders to understand that they're not perfect. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX listed companies. And this is Fast Track. past, doing your job and managing your career meant having all the knowledge and technical expertise and knowing all the answers. Coming from a place of knowing, being the best at what you do, that's the way we progressed. Knowing and getting our team to do, and it was referred in some ways to command and control, very hierarchical leadership. It is impossible in 2020 to know all the answers. Impossible. The 21st century leader simply then has to find a different way of leading, leading with and through multiple disciplines, not just one style and one skill. Being the coaching leader has become recognised as a critical component and capability of the effective leader, a way to enable and empower direct reports, peers and colleagues. In our first discussion with Dr Travis Kemp, we learnt the reasons the coaching approach to leadership works and why we should do it. In this episode, Travis shares his insights and tips as to how we do it and how long it really takes to see the results. Travis is recognised by both industry and professional peers internationally as being amongst Australia's leading practitioners and thought leaders in the fields of executive coaching, leadership, peak performance and organisational psychology. You were really convincing, Travis, in your last episode about why the coaching approach to leadership can actually be a good approach for leaders, for their performance. And I was really curious about discussing this idea about well-being as well for people. How does this approach actually help the well-being and performance of people? Yeah, I think well-being is a really interesting one because it means so many different things for for different people. And um, for leaders, um, you know, psychological well-being is becoming... Um, a big issue. So, you know, reflecting on what causes leaders stress is a really interesting starting point. So deadlines, expectations, um, financial performance, operational performance, um, demands being placed on them from peers, from managers and from their direct reports, they get hit by it from multiple directions. And they're getting hit all the time because of the technology and the access, aren't they as well? Absolutely. So the, there's an immediacy with the, those demands now that wasn't there before. So I can text you a dozen times a day. Um, I can text you when I'm in the moment feeling anxious because I don't have a piece of information that you can give me. So what drives that is my need to feel calm. So I pass that responsibility on to you. And now it's your responsibility to make me feel calm. And you can see how the system very quickly winds itself up into a pretty tight knot and why the level of stress that leaders are experiencing now is on the increase. So well-being becomes critically important. And I guess finding ways of maintaining my well-being within that environment whilst we work on changing the environment, and I think one of the great things that may come out of our recent situation is that there is a motivation now to, to, to look for different ways of operating, acknowledging the fact that maybe the way that we were operating before wasn't sustainable and wasn't healthy, but that, besides the fact, 
um, provides an opportunity for me to focus on what are the things that I need to do to maintain my own level of psychological well-being and to manage my own levels of stress and anxiety. And that's an important part initially in that introspection process, understanding myself. What is it that I'm most anxious about? What is it that triggers me? What are the situations that I find difficult? What are the things that stress me? Understanding that is a great starting point for managing that. Travis, I'm really interested about this idea that every time we talk about being a coaching leader, you come back to self. You come back to sorting through how I'm thinking about myself and the knowledge that I have and the way I show up. Tell me a bit more about that, why that is the focus. Yeah. So if you, if you look at what leaders are, they're actually, they're, they're instruments and they're tools, if you like, to get things done. Oh, and well, like I'm not any... a leader who's been called a tool before, <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> and like any instrument, they, the instruments to, to um, work effectively need to be calibrated. And the way leaders need to calibrate is understanding what they're perceiving in terms of what they're doing and, and, and the world around them and whether that is actually accurate or not it is what I'm anxious about now. What I need to be anxious about now, is it something worth being anxious about now? Is it something that's genuinely a threat or am I just perceiving it as a threat? And this is a really interesting point, you know? We presume that what I see as being scary and a threat is what you see as being scary and threatening, and there's no evidence for that at all, right? What you see as being a threat may not be what I see as being a threat. So if I'm responding to a threat that you're not seeing as a threat and I'm getting anxious about that, you're going to look at me and say, what the hell is going on here? I have no idea what's going on for you. So it's vitally important that you know what your levers are, what your buttons are, what pushes those buttons. Where are you most vulnerable? But on the flip side, where are you at your best? Where are you strongest? Where can you see things that other people can't with clarity that they don't have? And so this perpetual process of looking at self and understanding self becomes that calibration process so that I become a really effective and accurate instrument to lead. And then the process of leaning in to leading as a coach, once I feel that I've got that constant self-reflection, that I'm actually being fairly finely calibrated as an instrument, how do I lean into the process? How do I get started to be a coach? So the really interesting thing is that we quite often get conditioned to wanting to have the model or the solutions or the answers or the techniques before I start start trying it. And we've lost the the ability just to give something a go. Why don't we want to give something a go? Well, you know, as you get older, you know, your propensity to want to look like you're an idiot and fail starts to go down, right? Mm. It's not a pleasant experience being hopeless at what you're trying to do. Um, But when we were kids, we don't think about it because it's all learning and we all, you know, there's no ego that we have to worry about and there's no reputation and there's no history that I have to defend, I can just give something a go and if I don't do it well, well, stiff, I'm learning from it. And there's also no commentary from all of the people around us saying, oh, it's been to a new management course, look, here he goes, that'll be great. <laughs> exactly. There's no expectations, there's no, you know, other people's needs don't play out. They're just creating space for you to learn. So the first step is just giving something a go. So let's say you want to try having a coaching conversation and let's say I want to focus on rather than telling somebody something, I want to ask a question that gives them the space to come up with their own solution. Well, guess what? You're not going to get the question perfect. Just ask a question. When you feel like making a point or giving a direction or telling you something that you should know, 
reframe it as a question. When I feel like saying, what we really need to do here is X, change it to a question or at least a half question, which is my thinking is that it could be X. Do you see it in the same way? Oh, that's great. Have you got some more examples of those sort of a frame it as a question? Yes. And this is the, I think it's really important to develop these these processes and these questions at an individual level because I constantly get asked, like, give me, give me a set of questions. <laughs> well, you know, not everybody's questions are the same and my questions aren't necessarily the right questions for you. But the, the underpinning thinking behind the question is the important thing. If you get curious about how the other person is seeing the world, then I'm much more able to ask a question. So I'm seeing the situation this way. How are you seeing it? And then you sit and you listen deeply to how that person is seeing that situation. And you get curious about that. Okay, so you don't see that as a threat. What are you looking at that has it not be a threat? How do you feel safe and secure around that? How do you see that as not being a problem? There's three questions that open up a entirely different conversation because if I'm asking you those questions, I'm engaging you in the solution process. You're already feeling like I value you. You're already feeling like I think that you have something valuable to contribute. And you're showing me that you trust me to come up with your own solutions. All of that has happened in the space of a minute. All right. It doesn't take long, but it does take some pre-thought as to how I show up in that conversation. And it requires you to have a mindset and a way of showing up and also some pre-prepared questions so you don't flake out, probably. That's right. And look, I've got go-to questions. Um, there's always a fallback question. So help me to understand a little bit more about that. Talk a little bit more about that. I'm really intrigued. How are you seeing that in a different way than, I, than what I'm seeing? You know, if you use curiosity and intrigue as the essence of wh- where the question is coming from, the syntax, the words that you use in the question become irrelevant. Not everything's a coaching conversation though, is it, <laughs> Travis? And, and please help me here. And I hope you're not, not going to say, yes, it is, Maggie. But it feels like that then sometimes when people learn a new skill, like a child that's learned to clap and they just clap and clap and clap or play peekaboo forever, <laughs> yeah. uh, the new leader has learned a few coaching skills and they're asking questions when really you just want them to tell you what to do. That's an excellent point. And, and a lot of beginning coaching leaders um, frustrate the bejeebas out of their people because everything becomes a coaching conversation and every request for direct input or, or, you know, technical input or advice or a direction becomes an opportunity to ask another question. So I come back to this notion of the leader's skill set toolbox, if you like, needs to become much more diverse. Coaching is not a panacea. It's not an adjustable spanner that can unlock multiple nuts. It is a part of a bigger picture. It is a tool in your box. And sometimes it's not the right thing um, to solve a a specific problem. And it's not the right technique to be used in a certain situation. So again, being aware of my environment, situational awareness, and then awareness about how I come to that environment, how I perceive that environment, managing myself in that becomes a critical skill. So you will know when you're frustrating people because you'll ask another question when they're really wanting a piece of direct advice and they'll disengage and you'll feel them pull away. And so starting to feel this movement towards or movement away is a very um, subtle but important skill for leaders to learn. So should I be transparent with people while I'm learning something? So, hey, Travis, I'm learning, I'm trying to improve my coaching skills. This might feel a bit clunky. I need some feedback or do I do it, you know, implicitly and try and skulk around and be a new coach in my style? 
What do you recommend in addition with your, all your years of experience? Well, I feel like asking a question there, but I'm not going to. <laughs> it's like it's very tempting to just want to draw the these uh, the content out of these questions, but certainly, you know, if I am attempting something that is going to show up in a way for you that is unusual or different or not like me. Of course, I want to tell you that I'm trying new things. I want to demonstrate to you that I can change, that I'm committed to growing and learning, that I get curious about um, myself and and how I become a better leader. So I, I say, you know what? What I'm doing at the moment is this in terms of my own personal development. Some of the things I'm trying are this. So I might show up to you this way. Um, what I'm trying to get to is this. So if you see me going too far over there, just nudge me back and let me know how I'm showing up. And so this feedback loop becomes continuous. You know, we've got into the habit of doing performance reviews once a year and, you know, it's an opportunity to give feedback. It's, cr- it's a crazy method. You know, I need to be hearing how I'm showing up on a daily basis for people. You know, if I'm stressed out or I've had a bad day at home and I bring that to work, I want to know whether I'm showing up in that way. I don't want to add to other people's anxiety because of mine. I want an opportunity to recalibrate and manage myself in the moment. So constantly seeking feedback is important. One of my favourite questions is, is that the experience you're having of me or what's your experience? Um, And it really validates for people that that is their observations rather than the, you make me feel when you do this, this is my feedback. It's much more organic when we're asking about what's people's experience. Yeah, absolutely. And what they're seeing, you know, what are they seeing right now? What are they hearing? What are they feeling Mm. um, as a result of the way I'm showing up? You know, how do I show up for you is a question that I'm constantly asking. Um, I ask my kids that and they'll give me very straight feedback, yeah. which, you know, sometimes it's hard yeah. because the other thing we forget is that that we've known for a long period of time, and there's very strong evidence for this, that there is very little relationship between an, a person's intention and their behaviour. Now, this might sound a bit crazy to people because we presume that if someone's behaving in a certain way, that that's the way they, A, want to behave and that's the way B, they're intending to behave. But there's no relationship between those two things. So if you're taking somebody's behaviour as being a reflection of them as a person, that's a very, very dangerous and inaccurate assumption. Trevor, could I just question this a bit? I'm a bit confused because I do set intentions about how I'm going to show up and they do help shape my behaviour. So you're saying what? So they may shape your intention to behave and they may... Uh, impact your behaviour in some sort of way, shape or form. However, the way that it occurs for others and the way it shows up isn't always perfectly consistent with my intention. So, for example, I desperately love my children and want to keep them safe and have them make good decisions. When they're doing something stupid, sometimes that shows up um, in my behaviour as me being quite irritable and quite abrupt and quite judgmental and directive. The intention behind that is keeping them safe. The manifestation of my behaviour is that I'm angry and frustrated with them. They don't match. So the higher my level of anxiety, the more likely that disconnect is going to be as well. So how do we correct this? How do we show up as we intend to show up? Well, first of all, um, don't assume that you'll ever be able to do it perfectly. That's the first thing. Because a part of this conversation is about helping leaders to understand that they're not perfect. Now, this might sound strange, but I'm married to clinical psychologist. She's an expert on perfectionism. 
And we see an awful lot of perfectionism in organisations. In fact, we reward it and we reinforce it and we celebrate it. And yet perfectionism is a very, um, I guess, destructive form of anxiety that is expressed in ways that in organisations we've tried to uh, reinforce as a good thing. What that does, I guess, is stops us from taking risks when we're learning new activities or trying new things for fear of getting them wrong and the consequences of getting them wrong. So if leaders start to understand that perfectionism is a form of anxiety, that there is no such thing as perfectionism actually, and that the only way that I'm going to get better at this sort of stuff is by me trying something and failing something, um, then I can start to loosen the grip, if you like, and be a little bit more forgiving and compassionate of myself. When I start to demonstrate that behaviour to myself, then I make it okay for my direct reports to be a little bit more compassionate and forgiving of themselves as well. And we start to recalibrate the expectations that we have on ourselves and each other. So when we talk about how to be a coaching leader, which is really what we're talking about today, how to be a coaching leader is very principles-based. It's about knowing yourself and learning the skills over a long period of time and building and growing them emergent skills and being solution-focused, I think I heard you say, in terms of your curiosity and your ability to ask good questions and draw mm. things out of others. Yeah. And, and it's not a linear process. We're not, you know, we have this mythical um, upward trending line um, of continuous improvement and continuous growth. Well, you know, the world doesn't work in that way. You know, it, we have ups and downs, like our moods, like our levels of anxiety, like our levels of happiness comes and goes. We have good days, we have bad days. Guess what? We have really bad days as leaders. We have really good days as leaders. Even within a day, I have really bad conversations and I have really good conversations. The challenge for leaders is to recognise that, accept that, and get much better at not getting too excited about the really good moments and not too down on yourself in the bad moments. We're trying to flatten the wave so that the wave heights and the troughs aren't as severe and the waves are, are gentler over time. So through curiosity and a coaching approach, we can actually put that in a leadership toolkit to have much better results. Absolutely. Travis, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm going to keep talking to you because this is too interesting. Thank you. Pleasure. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Fast Track Podcast.